0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast where we chat everything and anything to do with the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie.
1: I'm Nora Germain.
0: I'm a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter.
1: I'm a violinist turned Scott co-host.
0: <laughs> Smooth. And apparently we are now both podcasters and you're going to hear us chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on ScottKelly.com, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Audio Boom, SoundCloud anywhere you get them podcasts, so please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell the ex-girlfriend when you call her up, before you tell her she's a cow, tell her to check out the podcast. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week on the podcast, Stephen Swartz, the man who wrote Wicked. How cool is that? Right, uh, this Is amazing because I've got my prodigal son with me, Nora Francesca Germain, who has a background in all the musical theatre shiz. Nora has been involved in every musical theatre production known to man. She's been in Wicked. She's been in Bugsy Malone. She's been in We Will Rock You. She's been in Batman. What else have you been in?
1: I've been on the uh, Talk Music podcast. You know what, Scott? This is great, but I just want you to know... um... I think it was last week that you uh were telling everybody how much you really didn't like musical theater so i'm just wondering
0: hey listen um, listen, listen listen that was yet. Here? that was yesterday right yep. people mature people develop people grow older in years and become more acceptable and accepting of things around about them especially when great things like musical theater come to fruition i've always been a massive fan of musical theater and my the depth of knowledge that I have in this area is unparalleled to anyone and anything around about me.
1: Well, you know what? I am um, proud of you for making this change in your life. It's Stephen Swartz. I've always really enjoyed musical theater. I mean, I recall um, convincing you uh, of this and why you should appreciate musical theater. As recently as last week. Um, so I just want to mention that to everybody who's listening. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Scott.
0: Yes. Nora, listen to me right now. There's some ignorant people out there that think musical uh-huh. theater is all just about singing with jazz hands and American accents. But you listen to me. Very hey, clearly. will you
1: back off about the jazz hands and the American accents?
0: No, listen, I'm telling you there's some people out there that think musical theater is just all about that but I want you to listen very, very clearly. There is much ah. more to it than that. There's this thing yes. out there called a triple threat. Now you being as ignorant as you are probably won't understand this, but let me educate you right now. Triple threat wait. involves singing, dancing, and singing. And if you can do all those three things, <laughs> you can laugh at me all you like, right? But this is something that you need to get your knowledge and need to up your knowledge and up your game in, right? Because the thing is, we've got Steven Swartz on. He's the guy that wrote Wicked. It's one of the most successful musicals of all time. It's about time yes, you should start showing a little bit of R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Do you know what that stands for? No. Exactly. Because you have none, right? So listen to me. Triple threat. That's all you need to know. But listen, I've heard this, right? In all seriousness. And by the way, we are delighted, thrilled to bits, a total serious note. that We've got Steven Swartz on for crying out loud. How big a deal is this, Nora?
1: It's a huge deal. It's no, you know, last week I never would have seen this coming. <laughs> no, I'm mean? really excited. I'm a huge fan of Wicked, and I went to see it when I was um, maybe 13 or
0: 25 12. years ago.
1: Yes, I went to see it in Chicago, and I've I've played with Kristen Chenoweth, who is one of the leads in Wicked. And no, this is really, really exciting for me because it's one of my favorite musicals of all time. So I'm I'm thrilled. So thank you.
0: Nora, uh, uh, there's a rumor going about. Mm-hmm. There's a vicious rumor going about. Well, there's a lot of rumors that go about, about you. <laughs> Many of them involve uh-huh. things that we can't see on this podcast because in this particular episode, we're trying to bring a little bit of class to the proceedings. I know that mm-hmm. isn't really going hand in hand with a lot of the stuff in your personal life. However, you can play a song from Wicked on the violin. This is what yeah. I've heard. This is what I've heard. Is this true?
1: Yes, of course I can. Yeah. What's,
0: what one is it?
1: Um, It's called For Good. It's the ballad of the music. Oh,
0: that's one of my favorites. That's yeah. one of my favorites. Mine too. If you could do us a favor, right? Yeah. I would like you to get the violin out for the lads and play this song to lead us into the interview with Stephen.
1: Yeah, let me get it, hold
0: on. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen, an impromptu song written by the man, the myth, the one and only Stephen Swartz, who by the way, is one of the nicest guys ever, right? And he's a class act and he's extremely talented and to be totally serious, right? A first ever person that we've had involved in this podcast from a musical theatre background and is involved in that world, right? So we're thrilled to bits and this is so exciting for us both. Nora and I have been buzzing for days about it. Ron, the producer has as well. So it's all good. So as Nora gets her violin at the ready, uh, we wait to get this little rendition of the track and then we're going to chat to Steven and then we're going to come back with Nora and uh, tell your friends about this, okay? Spread the good word, okay, about the podcast, com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Audio Boom, and I'm trying to stall this at the moment because Nora, I'm ready, right, she's ready, here we go, Nora Germain, take it away, please. Okay. Nor is your main in the house. We're going to get right to the interview, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Stephen, straight away, I have to ask, has pop music influenced your songwriting at all? Oh, sure.
2: Um, And by the way, I saw the list of some of the people that you've spoken to um, on the show, and I'm very flattered to be apparently the rare musical theater composer because it looked as if most of your roster was pop, and including Stuart Copeland, who, of course, played for one of my favorite bands of all time, The Police, um, which is by way of saying that I think Sting has been very influential on me, but also when I was a teenager, it was the era of The Beatles, and of a lot of the great singer-songwriters such as Joni Mitchell and Paul Simon and James Taylor, um, Laura Nero, and then some of the kind of wonderful groups um, we had over here, I don't know if they were as well-known over there, like uh, Jefferson Airplane and uh, Mamas and the Papas, et cetera, and then the whole Motown sound. And all of that was when I was, as I say, a teenager, And so that had a lot of influence on me. And I think it's why when I began writing shows, rather than write sort of traditional theater music, I gravitated towards more pop-oriented music, even though I was basically writing traditional theater lyrics.
0: Now, you make an interesting point. As you rightly point out, (laughs) um, you're one of the very few or perhaps the only um, musical theater Um, Writer that we've had in the podcast. So it's a great thrill for me to kind of distinguish some sort of difference um, between those of you that write in the theatre world and, of course, those of you that write in the pop world. Now, you pointed out yourself that those people who are are traditionally perhaps pop writers sometimes struggle to write for the theatre. Now, why is that, Stephen? What is it they're doing wrong, do you think?
2: Well, I think it has to do with um, an instinct for storytelling and how important that is to writing for musical theater. Um, and pop writers just aren't really used to doing that. Um, they're also not really used to um, taking on other characters other than themselves. But so I have to say that's changing a lot. And you have a lot of really good pop writers now who are starting to write for the theater and write quite successfully for the theater, from Cindy Lauper to, we you now have a show coming in this year by Sarah Bareilles, and um, you know, some other, uh, Papa Duncan Sheik, some other pop writers have really started trying to write for the theater and, and many of them are being more successful. But I think that the big difference between pop songs and theater songs has to do with the lyrics and um, and as I say, eat the song serving the story and the characters and that's just not something that many pop writers are used to doing
0: Very interesting indeed Now, um, another one of uh, your influences that I heard was of course Joni Mitchell Now, um, are you still a fan of her work to this day?
2: Very, very much so Yeah, I'm a huge admirer of her work and her writing Her song Both Sides Now is sort of my favourite song of all time and just her approach to to lyrics and to um, sort of her unusual melodies, et etc, um, the sort of poetic nature of her lyrics and the very conversational nature of a lot of her lyrics um, was very influential on me. she's probably my favorite uh, pop
0: writer Wow, what a big all a big fan of her of, of her work, and how can you not be now? Your friend is reading a book called Wicked. She tells you about it. You have to tell us about this and talk us through this story. Well,
2: um, what happened was uh, it was very, very random. I had been out in Hollywood for um, the past uh, many years before that, um, working on the animated features for Disney, um, Pocahontas, and Hunchback in Notre Dame, and then on DreamWorks for, I mean, on Prince of Egypt for DreamWorks. And then through a very random circumstance, I was on vacation very briefly in Hawaii and um, one of the people that I was with is a folk singer named Holly Neer and we were actually on a snorkeling trip and just to make idle conversation on the boat on the way back, she mentioned that she was reading a book that she was finding very interesting called Wicked and that it was the Oz story from the Wicked Witch's point of view. And it just struck me as one of the best ideas I'd ever heard and also a really great idea for me and the kind of thing that I'm interested in. And so more or less immediately, I started pursuing the rights um, to see if I could um, have a chance to adapt it as a musical. It took me about a year to get the rights.
0: Wow. Now, did you ever perceive at all that it would become the the spectacle and become the kind of household name that that it's become? Did you ever see that happening?
2: Well, you know, you can never expect something to be a phenomenon um, because that has to do with things in the zeitgeist in the world that kind of go beyond the quality of the work itself. Um, You know, I knew that I... Thought it was a great idea and was very intrigued by it, and um, even in very early developmental readings that we were doing with the show, we could just feel this enormous enthusiasm for the idea on the parts of people who were seeing it, but the way it just exploded into this phenomenon, you know, of course no one could ever predict that.
0: You mentioned the what phenomenon? um at what point do you think was there, has it ever been a moment in time perhaps when you've seen the, the the massive billboard advertising the show has there ever been a point where you just thought wow this is uh this is really just um it's far exceeded my expectations is there ever a particular moment in time where you felt that No, oh, i feel that all the
2: time <laughs> I constantly feel that um just the other day uh that's a couple of weeks ago uh, in New York, we celebrated our 5,000th performance of the show and wow. had a cake and everything. And I'm just, uh, yes, we we all just, we there at the party kind of being astonished together. I, I feel that all the time. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still not quite, you know, it still feels like a, a very good dream for, from which you haven't quite awakened yet.
0: Do you remember the first show you seen?
2: Yeah, the Shimbone Alley, the one that um, this composer, George Kleinsinger, had written. Um, and then thereafter, uh, I started asking to go to see shows for, you know, my birthday or for Christmas, etc. So I started seeing a couple of years after that, because where I grew up was uh, in the suburbs of New York City, um, on, uh, on, in Long Island, so I was only, we were only about, you know, less than an hour outside of New York so we could go in to see
0: shows on occasion. Great. Now, tell us the process of writing for a musical. What comes first? Uh, obviously, you've, you've got the story. Um, as, as far as you're writing a song, you ever, do you ever write a song for the story? Does the story come from the song? How do you put it all together?
2: Um, the story absolutely comes first as far as the way that I work. Uh, it's very important for me to know the basic outline of the story, um, and it's also good if I've seen at least a little bit of dialogue from whomever the book writer is going to be, just so I know how the characters talk and what the tone of the dialogue is, cetera. Um, then within the, the basic structure, within the outline, uh, I can identify those places uh, for songs that feel clearest to me. As if I, I know, you know, more about that particular song than maybe some of the others, and, and that's where I tend to start. But it's always based on the story, always based on the character.
0: Interesting indeed. Um, now, you've worked with a lot of different people um composed with many different artists is there anybody you can think of within music that you haven't had the opportunity to work with that you'd like to do so in the future um
2: well there are a lot of uh well i was going to say a lot of but there are there are directors um you know whose whose work that i've admired um that i'd like to work with i mean one one british director whom i'm hoping um you know may wind up doing the movie of wicked is stephen daldry um, he's somebody I, I really admire and, you know, would, would like to work with. Um, but since I tend to do both music and lyrics myself, not all the time, but um, usually, then I don't um, normally look for collaborators on songs. So occasionally somebody will call me and ask me if I would, you know, collaborate either by doing a lyric for music that they've written or music for a lyric that they've written and you know, sometimes it's writers whose work I like, and then I'm, you know, really happy to do that.
0: Right. Now, a lot of people, when announced uh, a couple of days back that you were going to come on the show, a lot of people were commenting on social media sites, asking if, um, to what extent you're involved with casting, if any. Um, so for your shows, what's your involvement with that? Um, on
2: theatre, the uh, writers are always very, very involved uh, with casting. Um, it's, it's part of our right as theater writers, um, to have approval of the cast. So, um, now on, on (laughs) movies, writers aren't in quite such a strong position. So I don't have the same say over casting in, in movies, but, um, usually I've been consulted about the major roles. Now with something like Wicked in the UK, because I'm not there, um, you know, I'm, other than the original cast and some of the very early replacements, I haven't had too much input on that. But occasionally for the, you know, for the major roles these days, you can see um, auditions, uh, you know, online. Um, so they'll, they'll send me, um, you know, auditions that people have uh, recorded themselves. And then I, I just watch them on the computer and can respond to them. But yes, the, the, the short answer is, as a writer of, of theatre, I'm very involved with the casting. And that's true, I think, for pretty much all theatre writers.
0: Interesting indeed, because a lot of people were commenting on, like I said, the social media sites, and they were arguing back and forth, and they were saying, Stephen won't be involved in that, and other people were saying, oh, he definitely will be, so that's great, and that's cleared that up. Now, think about this, right? Let's say, for talking sake, I'm a new young writer. I want to start writing musicals. I come to you and say... Give me some advice. What are the basic do's and don'ts? What would be your response?
2: Well, my basic advice would be to write something. Um, and that sounds glib, but I but I actually mean that. Um, because that way, as a writer, you can show what you do. Um, and most of the young musical theatre writers that I know, and I've done a lot of work, with a lot of up-and-coming musical theater writers because i run a couple of workshops here in the States, in New York, and in Los Angeles. Um, And basically, um, all of them that I know have started to um, have careers have written something that they could then play for people um, to demonstrate their work. Now, more often than not, the show or selection of songs that they've written are not the shows that get produced, but they show their talent and ability, and um, and that's a very good way of of getting noticed. Just to declare, oh, I'm a writer, um, and you have to take my word for it. Obviously, it's not as successful. The other thing that I would suggest for people who are interested in writing for musical theater. Um, but maybe haven't done that much of it, you know, maybe they're pop writers or other kinds of writers, is really to um, familiarize yourself with shows and with, with scores for shows and sort of see what you like and what resonates for you, and then from that, see what kind of principles or lessons or ideas you can learn about approaching musical theater, and that's basically what I did when I was a kid, was just listen to a lot of cast albums and see a lot of shows and see what I thought worked and what didn't, and the things that I thought worked, I'd try to analyze what the writers were doing to, to make that effective, and then see how I could apply those sort of ideas to my own
0: work. Interesting. Really, really fascinating stuff. Now, if it's okay, I'm going to throw a couple of names at you. I just want to get your thoughts on uh, some of your fellow musical theatre writers, so to speak. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, Jason Robert Brown, what do you think of his stuff?
2: Um, Well, I've known Jason for a long time. I've known Jason since he he was 21 years old. Um, And when he first came to the city, you know, I've always thought he was enormously talented He's, Jason is a great keyboard player, really, really excellent pianist, um, and I think he writes very clever lyrics and lyrics that really um, illuminate the characters. Uh, he always has, and he writes very good tunes, but I think his, his greatest skill is in his, his accompaniment because he's such a good pianist. Right,
0: right, right. I'm glad that you said that because I've been a, a big fan of his, his music for a long time too. Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber? Um, you know, Andrew and I are kind of
2: contemporaries. We're more, more or less the same age. In fact, I just saw him the other day at a, an event at the White House. Uh, you know, I don't know Andrew all that well, but um, he's always been very, very gracious and kind to me. And on a couple of occasions when we have gotten together, um, you know, when he was with Sarah Brightman, they uh, recorded uh, one of my songs, Meadowlark, and Andrew was very gracious about asking me to come and listen to um, the mixes of those and, you know, ask my opinion on it. Um, but, you know, obviously his sense of theatre and what will work on a stage is maybe incomparable in terms of his generation. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Adida in particular, uh, it's one of my favourite shows. So yeah, I mean, I've, I, I, although I don't know him personally terribly well, uh, obviously I, I admire his work.
0: Now Stephen, I'm going to ask, I want to see if I heard that right. Uh, did you say that you met him at the White House the other day? Yeah,
2: just did. Yeah, just, just <laughs> I lo- the other I day. I love the I way that you, White House
0: that you said that so I calm and composed. As if it was nothing. <laughs> Me- Andrew I, you know, I, I didn't that all that there calm there. Mu- there must be a part of you there. that must be thinking that you, deep down you know that's really cool.
2: No, actually, that, su- that suggests that this is sort of commonplace for me, which it totally is not. <laughs> it was the, the first time in my life that I had, uh, you know, been invited to be there. And um, it was a sort of Broadway at the White House um, evening, and, uh, and Andrew was part of it with his new show, School of Rock. And um, I was there to do a couple of master classes and actually played for uh, Kristen Chenoweth was performing, and I accompanied her.
0: What This is great for me as well, because basically in your diary right now, it will probably see something like Saturday, White House, Andrew Lloyd Webber, and of course on Monday, talking to Scott on his podcast. that That's pretty good for me as well, so I'll take that. That's down. actually very accurate, Scott. That's pretty much exactly what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. Now, um, funnily enough, somebody else said this on my Facebook page, actually, um, my pal friend of mine called Ailey McCall is asking, I thought this was a pretty good question, I was gonna just dismiss it immediately, but I, I, I quite like it. She's asking, would you ever write a musical that would have, uh, that would be kind of Scottish related, would have um, Scottish themed or anything like that, Was would that ever come into fruition?
2: Sure, if there were a story that was set there, I actually am extremely fond of both Scottish and Irish music, Gaelic music, um is maybe my favorite um I just love the sound of it so um yeah I I could certainly see myself doing that if a story presented itself
0: well listen if you ever need any help with it I've me and my bunch of Scottish friends I'm sure will help out with different Scottish stories I'm sure we could put something together now lastly I'm going to ask you just out of interest when was the last time you composed something yeah
2: this morning actually i'm I'm in the midst of uh deadlines on three projects uh right now, and so I am working every single day um, and and have been for the the last month or so yeah so i'm I am in major writing mode right now uh and uh, which is one of the reasons that you it was easy for you to catch me at home because um actually I just came from uh um, entering some music into the computer uh about half an hour ago
0: right great stuff so that's that's good that you're still um such a prolific writer you're writing pretty almost every day what uh, what comes first for yourself when it it comes to the music um is it melody is it lyrics is a little bit of both what do you tend to go for when you're actually writing the song
2: you know, Scott, it really depends. Um, it can be different depending upon what seems the, the clearest to me when I'm undertaking um, a particular song or assignment. As, as, as we discussed, sort of the, the story and the idea comes first, and that can suggest uh, some words. It can suggest a melody. It could suggest a kind of piano riff. It can suggest a rhythm. I tend to like to... Uh, start by knowing the title of the song. I've c- learned over the years that it's very helpful for me to know what the title is going to be. It helps to define the song for me. Um, I may not know it right away, but I tend to go on a search for the title um, and, and, and try and get that as quickly as possible. And that will suggest the, the next steps to take. But in terms of music, lyrics, rhythm... You know, basic riff, um, it, it can be different from song to
0: song. Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And for the, the very first person that we've had on involved in the Musical Theatre World, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to make sure that that person was you. And I've learned a heck of a lot in the, the, the time that we've had to chat.
2: Well, thank you. I, as I said when I, I looked at you, a very, very impressive guest list of these terrific pop musicians and writers. I was extremely flattered that, uh, that you were going to um, talk to me being, as I say, you know, a musical theatre writer. So I, I'm very flattered that, that I was your first.
0: Not at all. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And you give me a shout if you're ever in Scotland, OK?
2: Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Great to speak with you.
0: Thank you very much to Stephen Swartz for joining us on the podcast. We hope you musical theater fans enjoyed that. I am back now with the one and only Nora Francesca Lindsay, Steve Germain. How are you, Nora?
1: Great, right, that was awesome.
0: Right, listen Nora. Yeah. Now, I want to give the fans a little bit of an insight here.
1: Uh-huh.
0: You and I were in the same country. I was in Birmingham, Alabama.
1: Okay, you know what? <laughs> I
0: could explain. Right, okay, for, 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 before you start giving excuses, I'm going to tell I
1: everybody.
0: can explain! No, 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 before you start giving excuses, I'm going to tell everybody what you're going to be giving excuses about. Okay. Nora and I were in the same country, we were a stone's throw away from each other, an hour and a half, two hours away, and Nora said she was going to come and see me when I was in Birmingham, she was in London, I what did Nora do? it? Guess, 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 she didn't come and see me. So, Nora, take it from here and I will listen with one ear. Well, uh, turning away from whatever you say, because I want to make it obvious to you that not only am I mad, I'm upset. And not only am I upset, I am hurt. I am upset
1: that you're upset. And I'm sorry I could, there was well, a... I'm not
0: upset that you're upset that I'm upset. I don't think you just let, down, you let yourself down, you let your family down, you let all the listeners down, and you've probably upset Stephen Swartz, who's probably tuned out by now when he listened back to his interview. And to be <laughs> honest with you, I reckon he will be so devastated, he'll probably take Wicked off the stage. Do
1: um, you realise
0: the repercussions that this has had? You've, you, your behaviour, your selfish, and similar behaviour has resulted in Wicked being cancelled.
1: Well, I really hope that's not the truth and I wish we could talk about this more, but I just could I send you some flowers baby, would that make you feel
0: better? Yeah, whatever. Nora Germaine on the podcast Stephen Swartz on the podcast we are back in action and a huge announcement for those of you that don't follow me on social media next week we have Jimmy Chamberlain from the Smashing Pumpkins on the podcast. Nora, how excited are you about that?
1: Very excited. Woo! How
0: good are the smashing pumpkins?
1: I love smashing pumpkins.
0: They're absolutely brilliant, aren't they? Dum, yes. dum, 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 da da, dum, 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 dum. Oh, Can beat a bit of the pumpkins? Nora, any final words in the podcast?
1: May the forest be with you.
0: Oh, I love Star Trek. Me too. We will see you guys next week.